Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're listening. Welcome back to AI in the Future of Work. This is your host, Dan Turchin, advisor at Insight Finder, the system of intelligence for IT operations, and CEO of PeopleRain, the AI platform for IT and HR employee service. Each week, we share conversations with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, investors, and journalists who are defining how we'll live and work for the next, so, say, 30 years. We discussed the future of containers and container monitoring recently with Bunjot from Docker, Google, and Amazon. A few weeks back, we also discussed the future of APM, application performance monitoring, last season on episode 34 with Greg Poirier from New Relic. We heard how to secure and scale DevOps from Gareth Rushgrove from Sneak Security and Puppet. That was last season, episode 42. Now, billions is being spent to make sure the infrastructure for cloud services is always available. There's never been a better time to be a developer in need of tooling to deliver better software faster. But there's also never been a more confusing time (laughs) given the proliferation of approaches and just the sheer volume of components and data that needs to be monitored. Today, we're joined by the CEO of one of the newest unicorns in application monitoring. Milan Desai joined Sentry in 2019 from VMware after nearly a decade there in leadership roles. Sentry most recently closed a $60 million round. In February, it was announced from some true heavyweights, including Excel, NEA, and the amazing Jay Simons, who's now at Bond doing venture. He was at Atlassian for a lot of years. Turns out legacy APM vendors like New Relic and AppDynamics, which is now, of course, a part of Cisco, left some gaps for new entrants. I want you to listen and learn how Millen and his team at Sentry are really exploiting one of them. Without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Millen Desai to the podcast, and I will also take a moment to thank Bunjot Chanana for the introduction to Millen. With that said, Millen, Welcome, and uh, go ahead and share a bit about your background, and uh, tell us about uh, how you got into this, into this space. First off, thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure being here um, with you, Dan. Um, you know, if you think about my background, I'm an engineer by trade, so uh, classically trained uh, computer science engineer, um, started coding back in the early 2000s, software-defined storage. Uh, which is, you know, we talk about all the things moving to software. Uh, Veritas software was where I kind of cut my teeth uh, building software for middleware kind of volume management. Uh, and um, then we moved on to, of course, uh, you know, backup software, which it pioneered uh, in that regard. And then uh, one of the things I realized uh, through my career progression was I enjoyed kind of connecting the dots uh, and uh, understanding kind of customer impact and uh, interacting with customers a lot, uh, which helped me transition to a role at Riverbed, uh, which was pre-IPO then. Uh, I did not know what an IPO meant <laughs> uh, in 2006 uh, when I took that role, um, but we had a really uh, large IPO in 2006. I think it was second behind Google um, uh, in that, uh, where I uh, took on kind of customer-facing roles, uh, product management, uh, most specifically, uh, built multiple product lines, um, and then kind of realized, uh, you know, what's kind of next in that. And that's when VMware approached me and said, there was a role in networking. And, uh, uh, you know, do you want, are you interested? And I felt like there was something to be changed in networking. Everything was moved to software, storage, compute, 
networking was kind of the last bastion of infrastructure. Uh, and so that's where we went and built NSX, uh, which uh, turned out to be a very large product line, uh, software-defined networking, uh, and, and kind of building the product from scratch and building the portfolio to a multi-billion dollar portfolio, which it is now. As through everything else in life, you transition from infrastructure. Um, cloud was taking off. Uh, and that's when I got the opportunity to uh, participate in VMware's cloud strategy, helped kind of transition into SaaS and cloud for VMware. Um, and that's when I realized that the next opportunity is developers because cloud has normalized things uh, from an infrastructure standpoint. Uh, and, and, you know, if you think about what's kind of the next element, right? Before we used to worry about infrastructure scaling and other elements. Now, infrastructure is available. Everything is available in APIs. Developers can de develop fast. Uh, and that's when I realized like, hey, developers is where the game is. Data is where the game is. Um, Sentry came calling and we'll talk about why I fell in love with Sentry. Um, but that's my journey kind of as a whole, engineer, product, uh, and then kind of scaling businesses as, uh, you know, through the progression of my career. Tell us about the challenges and also the opportunities of moving to an agile, fast-growing unicorn from kind of a, you know, a legacy public company uh, in incumbent. How has that been for you? So fortunately for me, uh, you know, my opportunities at VMware uh, were in, you know, more in kind of the up and coming areas where there was a lot of room of moving fast. So I did not kind of get classically bogged down. And by the way, this is one of the good things about VMware, which is even in a large company, they have allowed for kind of growth and, you know, in, in small areas and small pockets so you can move fast, right? Um, and that's what has allowed them to adapt. So I would say, you know, it's not been that big a difference in terms of the transition because I was kind of in the cloud and SaaS world and moving fast over there. Um, the thing I would say, which is really interesting is the speed of decision-making uh, because, you know, you have a smaller cohort you're working with to make decisions and um, the speed of execution on things uh, that may be what you would call as not necessarily related to software, like, you know, in systems or back office or like, hey, I want to make a, a new uh, pricing change and, and the, the, the speed at which you can go about doing that. So in kind of operational elements, it's so much faster. Um, and that's what I would say is the, is the you know, the, the, the good thing, if you're to kind of put it that way, about uh, working at uh, a startup. What surprised you most since joining Century? The love that uh, customers have for the product, whether it's a three-person startup uh, that is uh, is about to get funded or or self-funded to uh, very large B two C properties that are using it, the love for the product it's just it's um, it's just surprised me. So VMware is legendary in Silicon Valley for having a great culture. Before we started recording, we were talking about some of the amazing leaders that have come through VMware. Uh, what are some of the lessons that you learned as a leader at VMware that you feel like you carry forward into Sentry? And then perhaps equally important, what are you having to unlearn that you learned at VMware? You know, VMware and prior to that riverbed, but I say VMware definitely kind of the, you know, it is about people. Um, and it is, uh, you know, at VMware, you know, they always, we always talk about this, but it's well implemented over there in terms of kind of taking care of your people, uh, leading with empathy, um, and, you know, to 
experience that as an individual contributor and then be part of that as I kind of grew uh, um, in my leadership roles over there, I would say it was a great learning experience, whether it was um, the CEO uh, or an SVP or, uh, you know, everyone kind of the way you treat people matters. Um, and so I would say that was one thing. Uh, the second thing I would say is accessibility. Um, and, and, and so it's kind of related, if you can see empathy, people, leadership, you know, being accessible, listening to varied uh, thoughts. Uh, people have different thoughts, you know, listening to different points of view um, and, and kind of absorbing them and then, then kind of forming an opinion. I felt that uh, at VMware, we did that quite a bit, which allowed us to kind of think more broadly um, and bring different points of view to the table. So I think those were kind of the, some of the really cool things uh, I felt um, that VMware provided. You know, in terms of uh, unlearning, like I said, that example that I gave you, the, the speed uh, at, at which you can get things done uh, when you go from something large uh, to some uh, to a smaller place, like it was just like, I'll give you an example. <laughs> we were, uh, that same example, I'm like, hey, you know, we need to do something here. Um, and it will, you know, I'm like, oh, it will probably take a month. Uh, the next thing I know, I'm, I'm having a conversation like, why would it take a month? It got done in three days. So, uh, you know, that speed uh, and the ability to get stuff done system-wide um, is something, you know, I had to kind of very quickly, and I would say that was in my first two weeks. So that was a quick uh, unlearning that I had to do uh, in regards to process, as we would call it classically. Now, at my former company, Big Panda, we put together a document called the Monitoring Scape. And it quickly, this is, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago, it quickly grew to more than 150 vendors. And now it's probably twice that. Where is there room to innovate in the monitoring space? And specifically, how did Century become a unicorn in a space that many would say, you know, is, is already overcrowded? So I'll start at a very simplistic level. I think if you think about monitoring for the longest time, it's been a lot about systems, right? Um, and so it's been about disk, memory, uh, storage, kind of other systems up, other systems running, are they scaling, right? Uh, and, and so it's been a lot around that. And then uh, the next kind of evolution of that, uh, as cloud has normalized over the past decade, is, oh, wow, the systems are now scaling, so can I build faster, right? So the, the whole DevOps piece came in, and so there's kind of tooling around monitoring your CICD and uh, other elements. So I think those are kind of going to stay, they're going to evolve, they're going to get better. Uh, and I would say cloud monitoring is nothing but system monitoring for now, right? So I'm just kind of calling uh, calling uh, it in the same category. So, so you've got kind of the classic system monitoring stuff. You then kind of go into the DevOps uh, kind of monitoring elements of it. But, you know, for, for the long, and then you have user analytics, uh, which has been driven by UX driven behavior, B2C, you know, it's all about experience. And so you've got, um, I want to kind of record user workflows. So you've got the full stories of the world, or uh, you've got examples of folks who want to kind of, a track user, you know, interaction or analytics around it, right? Uh, so uh, Fendos and uh, and others of the world, right? So all of this is kind of evolving, and like I say, I see these kind of staying in, in in that regard. But who are the the, the primary uh, builders of software, the developers? And what has happened is because cloud has normalized, and uh, you know, 
now you have kind of solved kind of the building and uh, the CI/CD problem. You can build faster. You can innovate faster. And the the thing that we faced at VMware was we were pushing code out so fast. Uh, at times we were breaking things, right? And so um, what I kind of realized accidentally at VMware was there was an opportunity in this area called code monitoring because you know when things would break in code, how would you know? That's when I got a call from Sentry. And that's what we focus on, which is monitoring code uh, and not just monitoring code in terms of errors, but monitoring the impact of code as it relates to product and customer experience. The checkout fail in a classic B2C scenario, or if you're talking about enterprise software, the most access report is not loading or it's loading 10 seconds slower, right? These are all things that affect the, the end customer uh, it affects retention, it affects growth, uh, it affects how your customers perceive value. And so Sentry basically you know, is, is helping solve that problem, giving developers visibility into how their code is impacting either business objectives or uh, you know, I would call them you know, SLOs if you were to think about it from a classic uh, kind of observability standpoint, but as it relates to how code is impacting business. Uh, and connecting developers more closely to uh, customers. I call, I call it almost like a bridge for developers into how customers are using their software, whether it's an error, whether performance slows down, or just generally tracking how many crash-free sessions, crash-free users, and other elements in that. So, so that's kind of the opportunity uh, that I accidentally saw. And then when Sentry called, I'm like, oh my goodness. Uh, and to see kind of the, uh, the, the user base and uh, the open source nature of it, uh, that's kind of what drew me to it. And, and I think this is kind of the next opportunity because we are pushing code three to five times a day in some cases. Um, and increasingly we are becoming front-end centric. So the evolution of JavaScript uh, and, and kind of the experiences that drives and all of that is completely redefining what it means to monitor going forward, right? It's no longer disk memory databases. It's also front-end experiences. It's slowdowns, it errors. Uh, and so that's created an opportunity, all these kind of different kind of trend lines. Um, and so Sentry just landed at the right time at the right spot. And now we are expanding on that. I remember in, I think it was around 2008, I was at BMC Software and we acquired a company, I think it was called StreamStack. And we called that end user experience management. Horrible acronym, E-U-E-M, not very catchy. But, and then subsequently it became RUM, which is also an interesting acronym, Real User Management. And at one point I would have said, you know, the APM vendors were the incumbents here, whether it was New Relic, AppDynamics, et cetera. And yet Sentry has emerged as, you know, kind of a, the, the, I don't know, the, the reincarnation or, you know, just doing that thing better than anyone else has done it. Why did this not become dominated by the traditional APM vendors? A great question, by the way. Um, so the, 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 the thing is that, you know, as you correctly pointed out, APM is a fairly broad uh, collection of things. And in that collection, there is this thing called real user monitoring. Um, but even if we take a step before that, uh, you know, if you think about the number of languages uh, or the frameworks that we're dealing with. So, uh, and, and this is important uh, for two reasons. One is, 
if you are, I'll just take a classic example because all of us use it. We have thermostats now, right, at home. And each one of them uh, is programmable right off at the thermostat. So there's a UX over there. Um, but if you are a thermostat company, not only do you have to build that UX now, you have to build a Android app, a Apple app. So then when you're doing Apple, are you going to use Swift? If you're doing Android, are you using Kotlin? Uh, and then if you're going to do web, you know, what language are you going to use? Are you going to use a cross-platform? Just the number of teams, the number of endpoints, the devices, the experiences has exponentially increased, right? And so the platforms you have to cover, the depth at which you have to cover it, uh, and the, the user. So if you think about APM tools, they were back end out. So you, you were kind of server-centric going into the user versus client-centric going into the back end. So by being front-end first, which is what's happening with these technologies, we, we are basically coming front-end in versus back-end out, right? So that's one. Uh, the proliferation of these platform and experience and technologies is, is you require breadth and depth of support. And so covering that many languages and frameworks, and that's another unique opportunity that Sentry does, right? We, you build a mobile app, we can help you measure performance and, 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 and how you're doing in that. Web-based apps, if you're building a desktop app, uh, you know, all different platforms and frameworks are covered. So that's kind of the second element of it. Um, and then, uh, you know, the third element uh, is this idea, like I said, is the persona. Uh, and so for the longest time, if you think about monitoring tools, they are targeted towards operations folks. And yes, there is DevOps, but it's more ops, less dev. And so the other unique element of why and what we are doing different is our persona that uses us is an end developer, uh, not uh, just ops, right? We have SREs who are engaging with us, but it's the actual developer writing code, not a developer who's transformed a little bit and doing some system ops, right? And so persona focus, the trend line changing from front end in, right? The trend line changing from delivering more product experiences and consumer experiences, the proliferation of devices and stuff. And then the last piece of it is, all the, the 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 product and consumer experience focus just created an opportunity. We started with errors. We've gone into performance. We you know it's a reincarnation of real user monitoring uh, with tracing and everything else, and it is simple. So let me you know this is if you were to take away one thing, it takes you four lines of code to get started with Sentry. Right, pick your SDK, four lines of code, up and running instant outcomes, high value outcomes in a matter of minutes for that developer. Uh, and so besides all the trend lines and, and why we are different and how we're coming front end in, the ease of use, the time to outcome, all of those have made a difference. And the last part of this is we focus on solving. You do not need to sit in the Sentry software for you know hours at a time. We tell you there's a problem, give you all points of context around it, and you're out of there, right? Uh, we, we don't want you spending time digging through stuff. And so the, the ability to see something in real time, solve in minutes, and then learn from it to not make the mistake again in one team or across teams is the magic. And so we've kind of classically redefined you know, what you see as RAM or APM, um, and uh, from how you use it, for whom, and also because of the trend line. So hopefully all that made sense. So you talked about DevOps and 
I often wrestle with exactly the topic that you brought up. And in fact, I asked Bunjo a similar version of this question and need to get your answer. So we talk about DevOps as being, you write it, you own it. But the dirty little truth is outside of Silicon Valley, where you know we've got an SRE culture and that sort of thing, it doesn't really happen. You know, operators don't uh, you know wake up one day and you know write some code and this this line between you know operations and developers is not really blurred outside of you know the friendly confines of Silicon Valley. Why is it so hard for the rest of the world to adopt what you and I would call a healthy DevOps culture? It is a complex problem uh, that we are trying to solve. So I think first is acceptance of that. Uh, and, and then the second element of it is a, a mindset element. Uh, and so let me explain what I mean. A lot of DevOps is become uh, about building. I, 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 you know, I'm going to go in, in organ, especially in larger organizations, uh, folks try to say, I'm going to take this open source project and, and instead of partnering with the, the, company that's building a service, they'll say, I'll just run it myself and operate it. So there's a lot of kind of building that's happening versus, you know, implementing and getting value out of it, right? So I think now we're starting to see kind of the turn around that, the dial is turning a little bit saying, what's the outcome of this? Why are we doing this? Why would we not just spend the money and get, get the service instead of kind of implementing the product, right? So I think uh, part of it is just that we were always in the business of trying to build our own DevOps kind of concept versus learning from existing folks or, or picking, you know, a couple of SaaS services that do it well and, and putting it all together, right? And so I think it starts with the complexity. Uh, it's uh, then the mindset uh, issue, right? Um, and I think if you don't break those two, then you're not going to successfully be able to implement something. So this idea of we can do it better, has to diminish and say, hey, can somebody help us get to this outcome faster? And, and do they have a stable service? And let me get to that outcome versus trying to save a penny here, a, a dollar there, right? Uh, and so there's a lot of that happening um, uh, in the early days. I think that's, that's starting to shift a little bit. And so you're starting to see better results in that. So as long as you change your mindset, you make it about outcomes, you, you think about it from partnering, I think you can fix it. And the problems are fairly simple. It's actually, you need to monitor your cloud, right? Uh, monitoring includes cost management. It includes scaling. It, include, it includes security. Then you need to build a CI CD, which helps you deliver secure code, right? And then you need to monitor that code or engage the developers, whether it's user analytics, whether it's something like Sentry that does code observability um, or, or it's, you know, other kind of, you know, UX uh, development tools, right? So it's like a trifecta. And you need to break that problem into tr the trifecta. So far, it's only been on the 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 op side of the house, a little bit into the CI/CD. So, so hopefully that makes sense. On on kind of the path to success is not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's trying to look at who are the players who have done it well and leveraging maybe the SaaS systems that are available to achieve outcomes sooner uh, uh, than trying to build everything on your own. Many analysts who hover around monitoring operations say the future of DevOps is no ops, which is a very convenient kind of analyst-esque um, you know, way of prognosticating. Um, question for you is, do you see a future where we can fully automate operations? And if not, what are the skills that will always be required from humans? 
you know, uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned that AI ops is thrown around so much, and every time I see that word, I'm like, oh goodness, save me. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I, you know, what the outcome of that is. The 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 I I think you we will um, we will get better if we focus on telling you when there's a problem and helping you solve that problem quickly. And so if you look at systems in general, um, there is so much data that at the end of the day, you need to parse it better. Now, whether you parse it using some human-based rules or some machine is going to derive those rules, who knows, right? I, I actually think the human-based rules, it's simple enough that you can put some human-based rules and fix the problem. So the long story short of this is, I don't know what no ops means because at, at the end of the day, you have to monitor your systems. You have to have rules which tell you when you hit a certain threshold, do something or let us know about it, right? So to the extent that we can get smarter in, in how we alert, uh, what we alert on is one end. Then there is the other end is when shit goes down or when shit breaks because things will break. Uh, um, you know, are you understanding very quickly what broke and have root cause analysis real quick, not having to troll through dashboards and logs and other things. And so I think that's really the element. And so what we will see, what I think NoOps is going to become is more depth in, in solving versus uh, more depth in reporting, right? Which is where we are today. So to the extent that we can solve in depth in terms of, hey, here's a problem, here's all the context around it, go solve it versus here's a bunch of data and here's an issue. Right. So I think we're going to get to that, whether you call it AI ops or no ops, you know, I don't know what that is, but I think that's where we are getting to. By the way, that's that's what attracted me to Sentry. That's what keeps us in the conversation, as you've known with folks you talk to uh, about Sentry, which is it's time to outcome. It's it's being able to solve a problem. Right. So I think we'll get to that. But I, I still think humans will be needed. Uh, and, um, you know, it will just be, we'll be doing it much more intelligently going forward. So let's say uh, you're coaching all the young listeners out there who are in college and high school and thinking about how they're going to be relevant in a technical career, you know, 10 years, maybe even 20 years from now. What are the skills that they should be learning that will be just, you know, transcendent or potentially even needed more in the future than today? The thing that has helped me most, um, and and you know, I've, folks have kind of over time helped me kind of hone in, is communication. You know, and and you know whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, you know, uh, it's important you communicate uh, because at the end of the day, you will be working in a team, uh, and communication solves for a lot of problems. Uh, and so in, independent of personality, your communication can be written, your communication can be oral. And so there are two elements that I always uh, remind people is uh, number one is communication and then communication with context. So, you know, what are you saying? Why are you saying it? And to whom? Because when you're communicating with your manager, that data may be different versus a peer versus a CEO. And that is a skill, um, whether you are in tech whether you are in non-tech, uh, 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 in the non-tech world, right? Uh, it is it is a lasting skill. Um, and it is something that you can develop. Uh, it is not something that, you know, you, you have, you're born with necessarily, right? So uh, communicating, communicating with context, knowing your audience uh, is super important. 
on one level. And the second thing I'll tell you is, uh, you know, the, the, there's a third piece, but the second thing is a narrative, right? And, and this is something I learned, uh, which is very helpful is uh, whether you're solving uh, a problem related to uh, a new area of tech or you're building a new basketball team uh, and you're trying to recruit, what's your narrative? You know, why are you doing it? Uh, you know, why are you the best at it, right? Writing it down, writing those thoughts down, letting them marinate, uh, practicing that. And then before you do your big reveal, uh, kind of being sure of it. Uh, storytelling uh, is super important, uh, whether you are a marketeer or you are an entrepreneur who's trying to do, or even if you're a coder. And, um, and so that's the other element. And the third thing is, um, there's nothing in the world that is considered as a small job. Um, and I, I, I want people to understand that a lot of times people look at roles or a responsibility and they say, oh, why would I take this? Or it's, it's too small a scope or something. Um, I, I am proof uh, that there is no role that can be small. It, you know, it's the op there is opportunity everywhere you see. Just learn to connect the dots uh, and, and see through things, right? So those would be my three things I would say. I get to get you uh, off the hot seat in a minute, but but I'm trying to get your feedback on this last question. And that is your advice for a younger version of Millen. I would say um, I accidentally ran into this. So, and I've been able to magically implement it to the extent you can choose the people you work with and, and you work for. That is more important than all other aspects of what you think are important in selecting a, a role um, or starting a company or anything else, because it's a journey. The journey gets bumpy. When you're with the right people, when the journey gets bumpy, you brace arms, you lock together and you march ahead, right? And so I would say that has, for me, a much greater element of value than salary, title, whatever you call it, right? And to the extent that you are, you have the opportunity, try to prioritize on these two fronts, the, the people you work with and the people you work for. It's ironic that this podcast is about AI and the future of work. And yet the consistent theme across many of our guests is about the importance of people and relationships and that interconnectedness. And that's something that will transcend time and technology. 100%. Milan, we're out of time. I, I know it feels like we're just getting started. It goes by quick, but uh, it's been so much fun. I, I learned a lot from you and just really appreciate you taking time to uh, talk to us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. And again, thanks to Bunjot Chanana for the introduction to Milan. This is Dan Turchin, your host of AI and the Future of Work, signing off for this week, but back next week with another fascinating guest. <laughs>